0: On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector Experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Today, we have a very special episode of the podcast with Vector Marketing's Digital Strategy Manager, Mike Monroe. Talking with me about the future of the Vector brand. If you're listening to this podcast, we hope the Vector brand is important to you as it can lead to more sales, more recruits, more prestige, and more influence for all of us. In this conversation, Mike offers specific ideas on how current and former Vector reps can help build the brand of this great company that we all love and appreciate while crafting your own personal brand. His insights are directly applicable to building the future of any organization. So if you're part of our alumni, take note. We talk about things like learning out loud, the value of public recognition and appreciation, and how content creation can contribute both to Vector's future and your own. Let's get to it with Mike Monroe. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. My guest today is Mike Monroe, and Mike is the digital strategy manager for Vector Marketing Corporation. He's been with the company since the year 2000 and he spent about 10 years in the field as a sales rep and as a manager, advancing as far as division manager in Southern New England. Since that time, Mike has spent many years helping to work on the future of the Vector Marketing brand. And in particular, he's worked on projects and procedures and innovations relating to the digital elements of Vector's recruiting, sales, and development. So we have a very interesting and unique and different episode for you today. Mike Monroe, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Glad we could finally connect here.
0: Yes, uh, this should be uh, a cool conversation that we have uh, that will be of great interest to people who are in the Vector business. Mike, what first got you into this interest in Vector's brand and
1: reputation? So, I mean, for many of us, our first exposure to Vector's brand at my age was when I told the first person about, you know, hey, I'm going to be selling knives. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we get our first, second, third, fourth, fifth doses of it oftentimes from the internet. But back in my day, you know, before, you know, 2400 baud modem, we didn't do that. And I don't remember what relative I told my mom, my uncle, my dad, but they all said the same thing. So that was the first red flag of of here. I thought there's this awesome thing. And they seemed to think that it was, you know, maybe not so awesome. So that raised, uh, that raised questions to me. And so fast forward, I want to say a year and a half later, I'd gone through my first rep summer. I'd Completed a branch summer, which was super, super awesome. And I remember sitting in Ryan Trembler's management candidacy training in 2001, it must have been. And he said something that I I still remember as clear as day. I remember where I was sitting in the room. He said, I'm going to work at Vector Marketing until parents are as excited for their kids getting the knife job as they are if they came home and said, Mom and Dad, Working at IBM. Mm -hmm. And that dates the comment a little bit, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) (laughs) Now it'd be like Google, right? Right. Well, yeah. Although, you know, let's say they're listening to this episode in 2030 and all the things I'm going to talk about have come true, then, you know, some unnamed Silicon Valley, although we don't need Silicon Valley anymore, Dan, nothing personal, but they can, we can do SaaS products from anywhere now, right? Yep. And then uh, the third incident, which I have never actually spoken about publicly. And there's only maybe 4 or 5 people in the company that know this. But in 2000, gosh, 2008, I actually had a prominent leader in my organization create an anti-Mike Monroe, anti-vector slam site. And so I had spent a, a vast majority of my career portraying myself as the good guy that, you know, all those things that you read or that you heard, or, or they're not true. We don't do that here. We don't do that in my organization. And I have no problem going into details about this if anybody ever wants to ask me about this. But, but the general nature of these things is that they think you're the worst person ever and, and the worst thing ever. And then, you know, I'm feeling like none of what they say is true and I'm the victim. And, and usually it's something somewhere in the middle, right? Someone's not usually 100% right. The other person's is 100% wrong. And so ever since then, especially getting to the digital realm, which happened shortly afterwards, uh, reputation became a very, very, very integral thing for me. Hmm. That's powerful that you had that personal experience that,
0: uh, that really brought this to light for you as something that you were, you were focused on.
1: I mean, I mean, there's nothing like the school of experience, right? Or the school of natural consequences, as my friend and colleague Jake Kuhn says, right? But the thing was, I mean, it forced me to look at myself and realize that, that you know I'm not infallible. There are things and errors and mistakes that I've made. And it's interesting because you always talk to leaders. And, and Dan, I think I've heard you say this as someone i put on a pedestal and revere very highly. You know, hey, what's the most important part of leadership? And the most seasoned ones in the room always say the same thing, right? They say integrity. They say you know, these big words that you hear as a, as a 20-something-year-old. And you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. I got that. But sometimes, I mean, we judge people. We judge others by their behaviors. We judge ourselves by our intentions, right? And so sometimes we can't see through the rose-colored glasses.
0: Yeah, that's insightful. What is it that, that creates reputation, that
1: creates brand? Yeah, I think really two things. Uh, the obvious one, which we've talked about a lot internally in Vector and that our leadership's talked about for two decades now, is... And maybe your listeners haven't witnessed this, but I've been part of many conversations at many tables that start with the idea of experience equaling expectations. Mm-hmm. So if somebody has you know, an expectation of how this thing is going to go, either as a rep, as a customer, as a, as a candidate, as a uh, a manager, as a, as any number of things, right? And then those expectations are broken, then then there's going to be a a really, really like there's gonna be a backlash there. And and what's the saying? The saying is a lie makes it ten times around the planet before the truth has the time to put his pants on. And mm-hmm. so maybe it should be her pants, because uh uh ladies are are generally <laughs> ladies are generally uh better than some of us blockheads, right? But I think the main point from that is As a leader and vector, there really is a tension because we work with people that, that in general don't know about Cutco or don't know about selling Cutco. And so what we do is we create expectation. We create belief. And in many cases, if we're talking about a sales manager role, we have to create belief because if I have no experience, I actually need and require somebody to believe in me. I mean when I was nineteen to twenty five years old, I didn't believe my ability to do anything. I didn't believe in my ability to be a branch, a division manager. I'm thirty nine now and I can tell you a list of things that that you know I don't believe in myself in and, and there's nothing like, you know, my wife saying, Yeah, you, you can do it. You know, go for it, Mike. And so there's this tension between believing in somebody, but also this space of 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 realism. And realizing that that life isn't fluffy, we don't all get to live our expectations perfectly. So I think that's I think that's number one: experience and expectations. And the second thing is simply uh, transparency and truth. And so on my whiteboard that I look at in my office every day, I have a quote that I absolutely love, and the quote is: "To be influential, we must be believable. In order to be believable." we must be credible and in order to be credible we need to tell the truth and the truth isn't always super convenient in our world and our business because the truth is sales isn't for everybody the truth is not every human being on the planet can afford cutco truth is not everybody hits their goals and the other truth is as human beings we're also wired to feel shame and so if i have a leader above me whom i respect whom i like whom i admire who's poured into me She's spoken life into me and then I don't do what I said I'm going to do. It's very easy for that relationship to break and for even me to go silent. And in that space, that is not a a soil that's going to blossom into incredible reputation because there's, I mean, again, shame and sourness there. And (laughs) the other thing, and the truth is this, out of the hundreds of thousands of leadership interactions... So colleague-to-colleague, colleague, or sales rep-to-customer, or even manager-to-sales rep, or manager-to-manager, manager or upper-manager. I mean, reality is, again, we're all human and people make mistakes. You know, I make mistakes. And if we're not in a space of, of radical forgiveness all the time, which is kind of impossible in our society that we live in now... I mean, Dan, you don't have to get into specifics with me, but do you ever remember a time where you've said something or done something in a position of leadership and thought, you know, ooh, I wish I could have had that one back? Uh, Of course. Yeah, of course. And people don't judge us by our intentions. They judge us. They judge us by our behaviors. And by the way, for me, that's any time I've ever sworn in public. I've been fighting with my language for as long as I've been alive, right? And I'll always remember what my friend Wes Frank says. Uh, He says... Not swearing never offends anybody, which of course is, of course is true. But reputation is created in those—I almost said those frickin' moments, right? Those f— you know that would have been, that been a, a hypocritical and ironical, right? Reputation is created in those moments. So, in that regards, reputation is very reactive. It is a—it's a lagging metric. It reacts to something and then it perpetuates as as either good or bad. And so if we want to create better reputations in the future, then what we really need to do is create better outcomes in the present. Mm. Good insight right
0: there. If we want to create better reputation in the future, we need to create better outcomes in the present. Um, I also feel like, Mike, that this, uh, this idea of experience meeting expectations, a big part of it is also how we promote what the expectations should be. I think that vector managers are great promoters. And if you're so excited about what you're promoting that you make it out to be that like everybody has a 10 K fast start or everybody, you know, wins, you know, this certain award, everybody succeeds. That is setting us up for failure. I used to have a maxim I would teach in my leadership academy, which was the, that realism sets the stage for retention Mm. when you're very real with your people about not just what the opportunity is but what the challenges are to be able to reach that opportunity then when people experience small challenges or small failures or struggles along the way rather than go oh you know he didn't tell me it was going to be this hard it's more like oh yeah you know my manager did mention that this was going to happen and so I think that that's a part of shaping this is providing a very real portrayal of what the opportunity is, and sometimes how hard it is to be able to achieve success.
1: I think that's so good. And let's also you know throw in the variable of the fallibility of humanity. And, and what I mean by that is, as a vector manager, I can look somebody in the eye and say, you can do it. And I can believe that 100%. But the person on the receiving end of that conversation, since communication is largely receiver-based, will hear, you will do it, or you must do it. And, and the interpretation of that now, if this it does not happen, I mean, the mature individual is able to self-audit themselves and, and say, well, why didn't this happen? And, and appropriately dissect and, and perform an autopsy on the, on the lack of outcome, right? But we also know that... <laughs> Most people, including myself, aren't mature. Unlike my 18-year-old self, who was super mature never made mistakes and did this all the time with no emotion, appreciate that as total sarcasm. But if there's one takeaway, tactically, from what you're saying, it is we never lose when we describe and overestimate the mountain and describe the challenge provided we simultaneously are able to lead our people through the cracks and crags and valleys of that mountain so that they can emerge victorious on the other side not always an easy thing to do
0: yes exactly that is the essence of what i think is important when promoting opportunity and vector is that we help people realize the challenge that faces them and we don't sugarcoat that but we also show a confidence that hey i've been i've climbed this mountain and i'm the one here helping you figure out how to do it so we're going to do this it's like having an expert sherpa guide you know to lead you uh, uh you know uh, up into the himalayas like they know they can do it right but you're also understanding that uh it's not going to be easy uh, to be able to get there and you're and you as the sales rep are relishing that challenge you're, that challenge you're looking forward to that challenge
1: and it's something that you're and truly. Out. The truly confident Sherpa is very willing to pull up the pant leg and show them their scars, and show them where they got hurt, and and that goes back to trust, where we create radical trust in transparency of our own fallibilities. We're building our brand, our favorite characters in any movie or TV show, and that's what we are, by the way, when we post on social media or create content or have a podcast or a blog or any one of these things. We essentially become a media character, and and our favorite characters are not the ones that are perfect. We enjoy the Denzel Washingtons that are able to go into a room and, and, and knock out everybody and kill everybody, but our favorite characters are the ones that are flawed in some way. Aspirational, but flawed, and working through their story to figure it out, to grow, learning out loud, and, and having that revelation. Humility, ironically, creates greater reputation than infallibility.
0: Oh, that, that was another great insight, that humility creates greater reputation than infallibility and and on that note um i think the way that a sales rep or a manager handles a mistake or a problem is a huge part in creating reputation because the way we handle a mistake reveals an insight into our character right do we own it do we apologize and do we make it right you know, one of the uh, one of my favorite quotes that's come out of any of these episodes came from an interview I had with Chelsea Rodriguez, where she was just t- talking about customer service, and she said, "You know, I I can't promise that I, everything is always going to go right, but what I can promise is that if there's a, ever a mistake or a problem, I will be there working with the customer until it is right." Mm, and I so thought good, man. that was compelling. And that was important, and that that's how any manager should view working with their sales reps as well, right? I can remember back in the you know the old days when things weren't as streamlined as automated as they as they were. I can remember, for example, forgetting to order a rep's fast start prizes, you know, and they come to you two weeks (laughs) later and are like, "Hey, I never got my stuff," and and then rather than making excuses and saying, "Oh, I don't know what happened," you know, uh, let me let me see if I can you know get this done, right? Just to own it and to say, oh, you know what? I look back at my records. It wasn't ordered. I must have forgotten. It's my fault. Mm -hmm. I apologize. Let me get this ordered today. Let me pay for express shipping to get it to you quickly. And here, let me loan you these three or four items for a few days that I have that you can at least use to help you, (laughs) right? Like that, that owning the mistake, apologizing and making it as, you know, as good as you can was always an important philosophy that I wanted to abide by. And I think that really applies to, to either sales reps or managers right now.
1: And marriage, right? I mean, there's nothing better to be than a great apologizer and a great forgiver if you're going to get married.
0: <laughs> yeah, It's true. So, Mike, if I'm a sales rep or a manager in Vector, a, a CSP even, how important should the brand
1: be to me? Well. I mean, the obvious answer uh, you'd love to hear is, oh, it should be so important, right? But, you know, I don't want to be cliche. Reality is that, that maybe it isn't the most important thing. And maybe it shouldn't be the most important thing. I think the most important thing that should be, and that Vector has always made the most important thing, is, is trying to do right by people. Yeah. Go back to something you mentioned earlier about
0: mm-hmm. reputation being reactive. Why is it reactive, or why does it have to be reactive?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? That it's how you are esteemed being the idea of lagging behind reality. And 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 one of the things that anybody who listens to this show or has been part of the business knows is that we are in a constant state of wanting to make the business better and better and better and better. And so I remember for 5 to 8 years after we abolished sample deposits, not sample kit charges, but sample deposits, and we had free loaner program People still online were talking about how you had to buy the knives. And and it took, I mean, it took a half decade to, to iron that out. I mean, my department and my team are the people that deal with the most ridiculous of rumors, right? And so it actually came up this summer that, oh, I got this letter in the mail. Careful. It might be, you know, sinister, terrible, horrific intentions behind it, and people panning all these stories ignoring the fact that in the present reality we're totally virtual which you know it's hard to it's hard for me to take sinister advantage of you in a physical capacity in a virtual environment and i bet people will still be complaining about this for 3 to 4 or 5 years even though we're going to be largely virtual by then and so the question and this is probably what you're going to ask next uh, ask next is is okay if that's the reactive piece of reputation where is the proactive piece of this? How do we right. get ahead of this, right? Because that's yeah. really what we want to do, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. L- let's get into that because I think that, that you know, it's, uh, the opposite of reactive is proactive and it just makes sense that we uh, uh, you know, are engaging a lot more in that side than we are now.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think this, our decision right now, we're at a very interesting crux. and Dan, you've led the way. And, and I'm going to come back to this and ask you several questions because I want to learn from you on this too. And, and our opportunity right now is to do some things that are going to allow us to influence the narrative of our collective brand story better than we ever have before. And, and here's what I mean. You got to think of reputation on three different levels. So we talked about experience. Experience happens at the bottom level. It's the smallest number of people because really the experience happens only with the customer that bought Cutco or the person that decided to try selling knives. It's a small number. Then you have the middle level. I mean, if you're talking about this in a marketing term using colloquial terms, you'd call this mofu, right middle of the funnel. Now, this is a bigger number because it's the people that are considering your offer. Now, this is still a lagging metric and reactive. And this goes to exactly what you were saying earlier, Dan. It's all about how you present your offer. It's all about how you create and craft. You know, this is reality and these are the challenges. Now, when it comes to the highest level, the proactive reputation, the one that is going to dictate how people at least perceive us before we give them a concrete first impression, this right here is. Uh, the very top of the funnel, and I'm going to call this the level of impressions. This is where reputation management happens and and if you go back to the reactive lagging piece of this where someone has an experience, oftentimes what they do is they talk about it, of course, again, ten times more if it was negative than positive, but those words go up to the top of the funnel, and so now somebody gets an offer for a presentation somebody meets us at a home show oh i heard about cut go aren't those those you know those knives that xyz or oh those are the knives that xyz or oh that knife job is that the is that the thing where you have to or oh my gosh you know my older brother did this i get to you know that type of situation mm-hmm. and uh so the way i want to define this it's very very hard to put metrics on a, on a reputational number, meaning meaning, how do you actually monetize or how do you actually create ROI from branding? Which is one of the reasons, by the way, why many companies don't invest in it because it's easy to measure my transactional business. Right, I throw this amount of money at marketing or advertising or sales and I get back this. As long as the money I'm spending is smaller than the money I'm making, then we're just going to keep doing that thing. But as a lagging metric, you don't always have that assurance of ROI or ROE, return on effort. (laughs) No one said, Hey, Dan Cassetta, go start a podcast. And 170 episodes in, you know, it's going to be good for the company. You had no assurances when you said, Yes, I'm going to be a brand builder. Right. And so I'm going to define this level of impressions as anything that somebody can hear, see, watch, catch, talk about quickly. I mean, these impressions that hold the power to influence our future reputation, they're typically short. It might be, by the way, a headline, a post, a story, uh, a brief video, and we can manufacture impressions. We can make them. I mean, the obvious one, which we do all the time, is sharing good news about our company, right? Hey, we won this award. We won that award. We got featured here. This is super cool. Dan, hey, our, our region manager and changing lives selling knives was just on, you know, fifteen different. Uh, I saw that the Yahoo Finance post, which is super cool. So, congratulations on that, Dan. That was pretty cool. Thanks. But the less obvious way that we can manufacture impressions is is asking people. We got to ask people to share it, because again. People aren't going to share good news. It's not as interesting as bad news. It's not as interesting as controversy. It doesn't get the same amount of engagement as as being polarizing and and pissing people off. In fact, if I share everything about changing lives, selling knives, my friends and family will see it and they'll think it's cool. But my friends and family are not the top of the funnel. My friends and family aren't the prospective vector reps. I want 17, 18, 19-year-olds to see this. And actually, I would say I want 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds to listen to this stuff. <laughs> Don't you wish I could have Hal Elrod and John Ruland's influence when, when you were 14 years old? Heck yeah. <laughs> I mean, to think about the world a certain way. And so that's the one of the challenging parts about making content is it's not just about creating it. It's about the distribution to get it in front of the audience that needs to hear it. And in fact, I bet you could hold court on this because at 170 episodes, you probably know a lot more about distribution than you know at, at you know, episode four, right? Sure. Yeah, of course. And so what I'm going to uh, posit to people as we try to push and drive for the right impressions is I'm going to encourage people. Anybody listening to this, anybody that wants to be—and I hate saying part of the solution uh, because that implies that if you're not doing this, you're part of the problem. No, I don't think you're part of the problem. But I think that our opportunity collectively is to evolve our core skill sets, much in the same way that virtualization has forced us to become better at certain things and transfer our skills in a certain way. This is a new acumen that we need to develop, and and what it is is it is making nuanced content. So I'm going to use the word nuanced content, A, because I don't want to get too marketing dorky, and B, because its it's got some... It's got got nuance to it. Let me use this podcast as an example. Where would you say the vast majority of your listeners fall? Would you say that they uh, exist at the impression level of they're hearing about Vector for the first time before they, before they ever get a letter in the mail or their friend recommends them to the job? Or would you say the vast majority of listeners are more towards the bottom of the process where they've already had experiences with Vector? Yeah, it's the bottom. Of course. And I would have guessed that. I didn't know the answer. And I want to point out that that has a tremendous amount of value because now this podcast becomes part of their collective experience. So if you are one of Mike Monroe's representatives in his first branch office, when Mike Monroe at 20 years old, wasn't Mike Monroe at 39 years old, this podcast would have been a fantastic way to supplement your experience. So that could be ultimately more positive because you have Dan Cassetta speaking into your life, right? Of course. Right. that That's a big
0: part of what I'm trying to accomplish here is to have sales reps and managers in our company hear so many stories of success and advancement, achievement, fulfillment, because of what people gained working in Vector, that they want to be in Vector longer, that they want to stay in Vector, that they want to advance in Vector so that they can get the full range of those same experiences and skills and qualities to help them make the most of their life down the road, right? So it definitely is focused on that.
1: Amen. And we also need content at the top. Right. And the content would be totally different. And what I am hoping for in our next phase of reputation is that people would listen to these episodes and listen to your podcast, your love letter to this company, Dan, and that they would say, okay, I am going to take on the mantle, and I'm going to fill in what our team calls a content gap. And I am going to create something that will appeal. I'm going to create my own Super Bowl ads to a much smaller audience at a much smaller cost, at a similarly short time frame, so I can influence people and the impressions they get of the organization. And, and here's the nuance. The nuance is this. The nuance is that you cannot make, unlike you, who lives at the experience level, if you're going to live at the impressions level, ladies and gentlemen, and anybody listening to me, my mom, hi, mom, hope you're listening to this, you can't make content that puts your offering, your brand, or even yourself at the center of it. You can't be the star. You are not the story at the impressions level. You are part of the story. And I hope somebody listening hears this and says, you know what? I wonder what I could do. And if you do think that, you can always use me as a sounding board. I'm not a content creation expert. My wheelhouse is strategy. And I can certainly speak into and refine any of our ambitious entrepreneurial people that might hear this and say, hey, that could be a cool thing. Let me be a think tank for you. But here's some examples. So in 2015, General Electric, literally your grandfather's General Electric, the lamest company ever, right? They launched uh, a podcast called The Message. And The Message wasn't, you know, the message of GE and how great GE was. The Message was a, a sci fi adventure story about decoding alien messages from the past. And what was so cool about what they did is it wasn't like they were overly promoting their brand. It wasn't like they decoded the alien message with with only GE technology. They mentioned it lightly in the story. They they placed it as part of the ad stack, but uh, it wasn't a, a mecca to all things GE. Here's another example: LinkedIn was it 2018 or 2019? I don't remember, but in 20 something, LinkedIn launched a podcast called Hello Monday, and and what it was was not about you know oh this is how you get ahead in careers and using LinkedIn. Hello Monday was all about the lifestyle of career-driven professionals. So they had Elizabeth Gilbert, incredible episode. She did Eat, Pray, Love. And she talked about a career versus a calling and and the difference of the lifestyle of it. Again, nothing to do with LinkedIn. So I feel like the the alumni
0: episodes of this podcast are certainly a big part of what you're describing like uh, the alumni episodes of this podcast were they to reach people outside of vector which i think a lot of them do they reach the network of the person who i had as the guest Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and so if the person i had as the guest you know is an employee at xyz big company the episodes reached their colleagues their friends their
1: network and, and those people, people want completely. their kids selling knives, right? Right. Because they These, hear the story
0: of Exactly. These people have nothing to do with Vector now, but they're hearing about the impact of Vector and Cutco on, you know, young people. So the alumni episodes of the podcast, I think, are one of this podcast are one way that we can do what you're describing. If more people can get involved with sharing, promoting, you know, etc. But what can the average vector manager? Or, you know, Vector Rep do to contribute in this area of nuanced content.
1: Here are some things that I would recommend to anybody. Dan, I don't know about you, but it drives me nuts. Maybe this is a personal thing. Maybe I'm not, I'm, I'm preaching perspectives and then I'm not, you know, uh, empathizing with the other side, but it drives me nuts when people go out there and b- successful Vector people build their brand and they intentionally have an absence of of putting vector the vector logo their vector stamp on on any of their work they're doing almost like they're hiding it or ashamed of it the question is when do we and how can we come to the table as influencers as thought leaders as impressive business leaders in many cases as impressive young professionals and how can we show that yep this knife side of things, this knife piece helped me get there. Mm. This is what I would call the, the roadmap for content creators. Your main story here is that you are a young professional. You are someone who is seeking, who's journeying, who's trying to get more, be more, do more for yourself. And lo and behold, you have this B story. I think somebody who does this very, very well is John Rulin. So what does Rulin do? You've had Rulin on the show early on. He talks about gifting. So his thing is gifting and giftology. This is what you need to do to create reputation. This is what you need to do to create great customer experiences and retain employees. His B story is Cutco. I mean, it's not a secret that John, which by the way, is the perfect match because it's the perfect gift, but it's, it's not a secret why John is the number one rep of all time. And so how do you find your A story? How do you find your B story? Here's how. So if anybody's actually still listening to me drone on here, and they're taking notes, this is the stuff you should write down. First thing I wrote down is position. Position. So I would want somebody who's about to launch content to clarify their message with a worldview statement. Like a statement of my worldview. And and the way I, when I worked through this with my team corporately, the question I asked was, to what question are you the best answer? What are you the best answer to? What are your most important nouns? You know, if you were to go on my LinkedIn, you'd see, you know, Christian, father, husband, you'd see my nouns. But But when we did this exercise corporately with Vector, you know, what are we the best answer to? Well, let me ask you this, Dan, for your podcast. What would you say? Changing lives, selling knives. What is your worldview? What is your worldview statement you're making with this podcast?
0: I would say that uh, uh, I'm trying to provide uh, stories, examples, pathways, strategies for success and fulfillment in life. And so, by having lots of different examples of people who you know sold Cutco and then now they're doing something else, they all relate back a lot of the skills they learned at Cutco and how those things have helped them succeed. Now, I'm
1: showing people uh, the ways that they can get what they want in life. Amen. And by the way, that was incredible. You came up with that on the spot because you know there's exercises you can do that take several hours to clarify a worldview statement, right? <laughs> and, and when I think of you, I think of you and I have a similar belief People that sell knives are going to be in an advantage over the fact of if they didn't sell knives. Totally. I mean, a very simple worldview statement, and so that's number one. If someone's going to create content, they have to have a unique perspective. I like to call it. Uh, I got this from Rite of Passage, which is a course run by a gentleman named David Perell, who's just one of the most brilliant writers. But he calls it a personal monopoly. And so, what is your personal monopoly? anybody listening to this. There's things that you know in tandem with each other that in the conjunction and combination of them are better than everybody else. And I want you to find your things, your nouns, your three things. And I want you to talk about and own your personal and monopoly as you put content out in the world. This is why I love Mike Dowd. Because Mike Dowd, behind his brand, which is my knife guy... Not only extremely forthcoming, of course, with the brand, but but even then, Cutco is still the B story because his personality is so much larger than life that 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 is the that's the A story, and it just so happens to be the fact that I also you know market cutlery <laughs> a heck of a lot right. of cutlery, right? Yep. And So number one is position. Second thing I would encourage people to do as they think about their brand and building their brand in conjunction with Vector's future reputation is talking about my personality and what i recommend to do because in the world of content production what we do it's it's so monkey see monkey do we see a brand or we see a person do a cool thing and then we want to copy it i mean if i had a dollar for every time somebody said to me hey we should do xyz and in most cases i agree with them cuz xyz is brilliant but it doesn't necessarily fit our brand and so i recommend people find 3 adjectives for their personality and use those adjectives as measuring sticks against all of their content. So when my team and I did this corporately for Vector and said, what are we going to do to define the Vector personality? We went through a lot of days of exercises in my basement. Sorry, team, it's cold down there. And and our three words for what we were going to put out corporately with Vector content was we were going to be inspirational, like this podcast, aspirational which relates to the element of, of, yes, we are goal setters. There are things we want. And we're not going to apologize for wanting things, especially when many of those things are benign, right? And the third adjective was optimistic. And so we were going to be aspirational, inspirational, optimistic. Now, my team knows one of the things I do as self-therapy is I collect what I call funny brand insults. So if I see other brands ripping their trolls, I'll take a screenshot. I have a whole database of them. It's funny. And and those of you guys that are Reddit users like me, you can go to brand insults. There's just a treasure trove of stuff there on that subreddit, right? And my team will never use any of them. They will never put them out there. Why? Because it's not inspirational. It's not aspirational. And it's not optimistic. It might make us feel good. It might be funny. It might be clever. It might be awesome. And it's not us. And so having a personality is all about staying in your lane and being who you are and meant to be and being consistent with that. And so defining that for a brand is very important and as a thought leader, those of you listening to this important for you too. Third thing I wrote down and this is what everybody does first, they answer the platform question. Platform, where do I want to show up? And so hey, I'm going to start an Instagram page, or oh, I'm going to start a blog, or oh, I'm going to start a podcast, or oh, I'm going to start a blog or a video series. And you shouldn't start there. You should start with your worldview and your audience and your personality because that will help dictate the platform. And, and Dan, you've probably noticed this. <laughs> if you don't love your platform, like if it's not something you like to do, don't freaking do it because you'll never make it 10 episodes let alone 170. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah,
0: for sure. For sure.
1: Like I I
0: have a lot of fun having these conversations and so it it definitely makes it a lot easier to keep going. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's so obvious. And and that's the thing. If I I mean Instagram is so rich with just all the features and the things they can do. I mean Instagram is about as all-in-one social platform as you could possibly get. And I hate I mean I got an iPhone 45 or whatever the newest one is. I hate taking photos. Even though the damn phone makes me look like an incredible photographer, I'm just not a photo guy. Now my wife, you know, beautiful photo, takes these incredible things, you know, 500 likes later, right? And it's it's it just fits her. Don't fit me. I'm a writer. I like to write. And so urging to everybody would be if you're going to put out content in the world, don't pick a platform that's going to be painful because you just won't be able to keep it going. Mm -hmm. Uh, fourth P I would say pace, pace, P A C E, which of course means the technical term for publishing cadence. We call it a cadence when we talk about when we're publishing, Hey, Joel, how often are we posting on, on this platform, this platform, this platform, this platform. The goal is I wrote down, be like Dan, you gotta build the thing as a habit. It's just like working out. We have a vendor, a uh, marketing intelligence agency, Michael Brenner, brilliant guy. And he introduced me to a term <laughs> called random acts of content. And, and it's just like going to the gym sporadically, spontaneously, once in a while. You're not going to get stronger. You're not going to get better. You're not going to get thinner. You're not going to get whatever it is you want to get. You're not going to get it. You're not going to accomplish it. If you're not a regular publisher, you must a cadence. Imagine if the Washington Post didn't come out every day imagine if ESPN only showed up with live scores when they felt like showing up with live scores just wouldn't work and Dan I actually that's the big question I had for you because my experience as a maker creator publisher and a product developer and a project manager is I always have an initial surge of enthusiasm things and then after you get over the initial surge that's when the real work begins right Mm -hmm. that long period of silence Dude, what in the heck? What advice do you have? What do you do? What did you do? What do you do to combat that to just keep going? Yeah. Well, for me,
0: the podcast is a vehicle for personal growth. It's a supplement or in some cases, a replacement to reading someone's book or watching someone's video or listening to someone's audio is I just I talk to the person and I have a conversation with them, and I get their insights, and I ask good questions, and then I listen to it uh, myself after. And so it's a tool for personal growth for me. As I was thinking about this idea of how vector reps, vector managers could begin to create nuanced content, one of the thoughts came to my mind is that whenever I learn something, I try to put it into a form that I can share with others. So if I read a good book, I write in the book, I note pages, I mark pages. And then when I get done with the book, I'll open up a document on my computer and I'll just title it notes on You Know such and such book. And I'll just flip the pages to all the spots that I marked. And I'll type those notes into one big document, like the key notes out of the book. And then I'll figure out what's my next opportunity to share this with other people. In the old days, when I was running a Vector office, it would be my key staff meetings. Oftentimes, it would also be like a speech for a conference. I would write a speech for a conference and you know, put it together. It could be a speech for a team meeting these days. It could be a written blog or a written post on social media. I would try to articulate my lessons from this experience or this book or whatever it is into some teaching form. And that's where I got the most value and I internalized the ideas. It reinforced what I learned for my own self. So, as I think about a vector rep, you know, and you're at your team meeting this week and your manager shares this like 15 minutes of like brilliant insight that you take a bunch of notes on, turn that into a social media post where right it's the bigger story is that it's vector and you were at a meeting but that's that just is one that's sentence that's the B story that's the right. B
1: story right that's
0: one sentence in the in the the post but the the main focus of the post is hey here's these three ideas i learned that i wanted to share with you that i thought could be helpful and you're sharing them with your network that to me is one way that uh, you know a lot of people in vector can begin to to produce this sort of nuanced content
1: that you've described. Dude, you're dead on. And the technical term for what you're describing uh, that I heard taught by gurus and experts, right? I hate that term. Hate it. It's just the idea of learn out loud. Learn out loud. And the reason we don't do it, and I'm not blaming any of my, my beloved community here, and the reason I you know grapple with this, and the reason 29-year-old me didn't do this is because of this. Because as a leader, I thought I was supposed to have all of the answers. And so I would read a book, and I would regurgitate the book, and I would reiterate the book out loud. And maybe I'd occasionally give credit to people or mention somebody, or maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would just change words here and there, because I wanted to be the guru. And that's the challenge of our business challenge of our business is that sales is an ego business. Tom Cannon's been saying that for 3 decades, and he's right. He's 100% right. Because we have to have self-confidence, and we have to have self-belief in order to be that person that can go out there and make sales or build a team and lead a team. And in the aspect of this great world-beating, thought leader, confident person, in order to do what you're describing, I need to have this abject humility. And so there's the tension. The tension is that we need to simultaneously be both incredibly competent and confident and incredibly vulnerable <laughs> and, right. and willing to say, hey, I heard this. I heard this from Dan. I should start doing this. This is really cool. Let me share this. And, and Dan, I'm sure you'd agree with this because you've heard a lot of speeches But a lot of teachers are preachers. And we are not going to preach our way to a more desirable reputation. Mm -hmm. We are not going to, we are not preaching does not earn us or garner us influence. Humility, vulnerability, those are the things that make influence possible. And influence is the gateway to all the impressions we would ever want. Yeah. To be able to do exactly what you just said.
0: Yeah. I mean, somebody could certainly present ideas from the context of, Hey, what do you guys think of these concepts? Right. Hey, let me share three things I learned uh, at an event that I was at today and, and get your thoughts on what you think of them. I feel like I, I have this sort of banter in some of my own little like private groups. I think about, for example, you know, the front row dads, like we certainly have a banter in the front row dads where we'll say, Hey, I, somebody shared this concept what do you think it's not like this is the way to do it it's what do you think of it and it it opens up interaction and and uh feedback and you know either reinforces that yeah that's a great idea or it shares with us that you know hey maybe that's not the best idea so, so that good. that's one angle that could be could be presented um, so good i'm just trying to think of you know examples i see of this and i i, I the person that comes into my mind is austin oberbillig he shares information readily and freely and regularly. Uh, it's not always, hey, I learned this at a meeting. Sometimes it's, hey, I taught this at a meeting. And I think maybe he could package that a little differently as you're suggesting. But he is always out there putting out information and sharing information in a way that, that in my mind, positions him as an expert, as a thought leader, as somebody who's you know, smart and thoughtful and personally developed, so to speak. Totally. Um and so it it's helping him for sure, but also you know he's sharing stuff he's learning in the context of the vector business, so it's helping us as well and if I feel like if we could
1: create a hundred Austin overbillys out there sharing information with the world that it could be very valuable. I totally agree, and Trent Booth has taught this for years, right where it 's the concept of here 's what happened, now write what I felt about it, mm-hmm. and my favorite part of austin's posts who I've loved reading is writing for years, right? My favorite part is not necessarily the reiteration of the thought leader, the quote of the guru. My favorite part is when he gives his take on it. That's the part that's valuable and speaks to me because I'm not connected to a thought leader and guru expert. I'm connected to Austin. And so his words, his vulnerable words, his honest words weigh very, very heavily. And if we had that going on, Tens of thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times. I mean, it'd be pretty amazing. Yeah. Dan, I don't want to lose something you said that was so, so, so powerful. You said you use this podcast as a personal growth outlet. I would encourage everybody to have that same perspective if they choose to go down the road of being a content creator in whatever capacity. It comes to mind what uh, quote Mark Twain said, great Mark Twain. He said, uh, somebody asked him after Huckleberry Finn was written before it was released, there was this rumor and speculation that the book was going to suck. It was going to flop. It took on, you know, stigmas of the South and so forth. And, and he publicly went on record in an interview, probably much like this, right? He got on a podcast, Mark Twain did. He said, well, you know what about the book? I will like it whether anybody else does or not. And when you take that type of attitude, when you do it, when I do it, it becomes our own vehicle and that enthusiasm and passion can't help but be infectious, right? Right. Yes, Man. indeed.
0: So uh, posi- position is you know your statement of worldview. What are you about? Personality is your adjectives that describe your three adjectives that describe how you want what you're offering to be to be received or viewed, and then platform right? Is uh, deciding, you know, how are you going to get stuff out there? I think the most simple thing people can be doing right now is just whatever social media you hang out on, making a note to, you know, hey, at least once a day or at least once a week or whatever. Well, fourth was pace, right? Um, Platform and pace deciding at what interval am I going to make a post and just making a post that you feel adds some value. Right. that That's the yep. most simple way that people can do this. And I would really recommend to people, if you're making posts on social media, that you put them into a document on your computer. So you have a record of everything all in one spot yes. uh, that you can that you can package up later. Yes. Um, one of my favorite writers in the world is a woman named Dushka Zapata. Mm. And she became uh, one of the top writers in the world on Quora, which is a question answering site where she would just answer, you know, questions about life and about people and about anything. And she gets up every day very 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 early and she writes every single day. And um, she saves about, them.
1: And she saves them.
0: And, and, she, and she saves all of it and 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 then she realized like she had enough content for a book. So she just all she has is these one or two page essays that are basically social media posts. And she put them all into a book back in 2014. And that was her first book. And then 6 or 8 months later, she had a whole bunch more content and made her second book. And you know, now she's 9 or 10 books released, all of which are 1 or 2-page essays about some aspect of life. And I just think it's such a cool thing that she has done. And most of her stuff is really thought-provoking and very cool to...
1: to and you know read what's funny... You know what's funny is that digital footprint that she's created for herself, which is now an online and an offline digital footprint, is going to do more for her next 5 career paths and 5 career lives than any resume would. Right. right? Because this, like, don't tell me what you did. Show me what you did. The last P would be product, which is everything we've been talking about, which is what are you putting out there? You're talking about learning out loud. I love that. We talk about appreciation and loving on people. I love that. You talk about what you just described is doing a little bit of work that can turn into a big piece of work. We call it repurposing content in our world. It's so, so true. And I think the yardstick, and I'll, I'll end with this, I think the yardstick that people can really ask themselves, because most of the content you put out when you first start in any level is probably going to suck. I mean, Dan, yeah, I get that you're natural and you've been training for 20 years as a communicator so you could start a podcast that was like locked down on day one. But I bet you listen to your initial episodes versus now and I bet it's night and day, right? There's a difference. There's a difference. And so one of my creative mentors, a guy named Charles Orlando, who, who built a Facebook page of 1.5 million people without spending any money purely on organic reach in an air where organic reach doesn't happen on Facebook. He told me, Mike, here's what you got to do. You got to write through the suck. You got to put in your 10,000 hours. You're going to make stuff. No one's going to read it. It's going to suck. It's going to be horrible. My first three books didn't get read. Who cares? Make stuff anyway. And when you have a why, like you're describing, Dan, which is the quest for personal growth, when you have a why, which is what I'm talking about, which is the B story and the greater enhancement of our reputation as a company and as a brand, which makes more success for all of us, by the way, every single one of us benefits from your creative efforts. And you benefit financially as new opportunities arise. And who knows, you know, maybe you build an empire like Mike Abramowitz, where you have just so many exciting things because you have this gorgeous convergence of who I am personally, professionally. and, And I'm so clear on my mission and worldview to help others. I mean, you just can't help but succeed, right? Exactly.
0: Awesome stuff, Mike.
1: Hey, man, as you look
0: uh, into the future, what are you most excited about?
1: First off, I'm excited. Anybody who made it to this part of the episode still listening, you're officially my new best friend. That Monroe guy just talks and talks and talks. Gosh, (laughs) I am most excited about this. I'm excited about what Ryan Trembler said, which is someday because of podcasts like this, which in five years, by the way, right now it's a, a podcast and a piece of content that I would define as the greatest content effort that has ever happened in Vector, right? One of the greatest things yet. In five years from now, I hope we have something that's better than this. And I hope it's middle of the road to bottom 20%. That's not an insult to you. It's not an insult to the podcast. That's an aspirational call to action for the evolution of our company as thought leaders and content creators to be able to say, we can impact the inside world and we can communicate it to the outside world in a way that yes, when parents tell their or when kids tell their parents, I'm going to be selling knives, they say, nice job. I'm so freaking proud of you. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm excited about. Awesome. Well, I look forward to that
0: as well. Mike, I know that uh, you and I both share a passion for helping to bring that uh, into reality. And the more people we can rally to this cause, the better, whether you're a Vector rep listening and you can be a part of it, or you're an alumni listening and you can share your positive experiences and nod to the, uh, the company that helped you get your start, I think uh, it's a great thing that we can all be doing. So, Amen. Awesome. Amen. Thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you, Dan. Such a pleasure. Mike Monroe, everybody, I really want to underscore why the Vector and Cutco brand should matter to anyone who's listening. If you're a Cutco rep, you certainly want to have people have a positive association with the Cutco product that will help you with your sales. If you're a manager, you certainly want people to associate selling knives as being something that's a great job for young people to have. It will help with recruiting and with retention. If you're an alumni, I would hope that you want to have a positive association with Vector and Cutco because you feel good about what the company has done for you and the the role it has played in helping you get to where you are. And it's a part of sort of giving back to this place that helped build you up. The strategies that were important that I want to underscore, the idea of making sure that we are setting the right expectations for anyone's experience with the company, or our sales reps, in particular, that's key, a realistic eye toward the challenges that are ahead as people venture into the job, how we handle mistakes. Really a key thing, owning it, apologizing, making it right. Also, how we handle any negativity that we face. Sometimes it's that negative person at an event that says something negative or it's a troll on a post. And people are watching how we handle that. You got to leave your ego out. You got to avoid trying to belittle the person. And you just got to be very matter of fact, presenting what you know to be true about us and about the opportunity here. That's key. And then, of course, sharing good stuff, whether it be of your own good stuff or things that you're learning during the experiences that you have in the vector business. On that note, I want to make a request and ask to this audience right now that you help share this podcast. I really have tried to put a lot of work and effort into making this valuable, making every episode good. And if you feel like you get good value from a particular episode, make a post about it. Share 2-3 lessons you learned from it and put it out there to your audience. Share the posts of people you know, particular of the episodes of people you know within your region. Spread it around within your region get people listening so that they can hear the stories of those people who they're going to meet at future events or they're going to be around or hear from you know at uh, zoom conferences and things like that that's the one thing i ask it's sort of the fee for the podcast is that you share it with other people and in that process everybody gains more because of that so please do that uh, as much as you can There are some companies and individuals and old Cutco alums in particular who are helping sponsor the podcast. You can go to changinglivespodcast.com slash deals, and you can support those people. You can see every episode listed there with show notes. You can also sign up to receive free resources that I put out from time to time, which are resources from some of our podcast guests or other insights and ideas that I share from time to time with the audience. So a lot of ways you could help support us as well in this process. Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Hey, Vector Managers and Sales Reps. I know a lot of you have heard about the Core Values Index, or CVI. Many of our leaders have used this tool to learn more about themselves and about the people they lead. If you've ever heard your manager use the terms builder, merchant, innovator, or banker, that's from CVI. I've arranged for our listeners to get a free CVI assessment by visiting erep.com slash e slash dc. It takes less than 10 minutes to complete, and you'll get your results immediately. You'll also have an option to upgrade your report to a detailed assessment that will blow you away with what it teaches you about yourself and about how to better interact with others. Check it out at erep.com slash e slash dc. You can also visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals for this and other offers from our podcast sponsors. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast.